Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. Not in the rugby dungeon. Uh, I'm Tim in my Egg Chasers TMO shipping container, which is currently residing in South Manchester. Just across town is Phil in his. Well, not across town, actually, Tim. I'm a bit, I'm a bit further afield. Well, where are you? I'm uh, currently in Rosedale Abbey in the oh, North Yorkshire Moors. Of course, and you're there until up to and including next weekend as well. Hence, you can't take part in the Egg Chasers uh, triumph again in the North Dorset Sevens. Unfortunately, yes, I'll be next Saturday. I'll be traveling back to Manchester, and then it, it, if only we had enough time, I'd be making the six hour extra journey to North Dorset. But I, I don't think I'd make it quite in time. Well, uh, your TMO shipping container is a far afield, but not as far afield as JB's. Yes, I'm just west of Sub Sahara Africa. I am in Gran Canaria, and as I look at myself now, um, on the screen with the background behind me basically an arid desert and a palm tree. It reminds me, do you ever used to watch the football with Graham Hunter, the insufferably smug Graham Hunter, who was always overseas somewhere, like he did his broadcast religiously from a cocktail bar. <laughs> you, and you are, by the looks of things, you are actually in a cocktail bar, aren't you? Or just outside? Not, you, just, <laughs> Go on. not exactly. So let me tell you where I am. I am in like a concrete jungle uh, in Gran Canaria, Puerto Rico. Don't know if anyone's ever, ever been there. I've been coming here for the best part of 20 years, which is probably the only reason that I, that I still come here. Nice enough. I was recommended by the guy who does the big game fishing to go to Tiffany's bar. He says that this bar, quote, is the best bar in Puerto Rico, but is probably the best bar on the entire island. Let me tell you what it says on the sign as, as you come in. It says Tiffany's where the zookeepers look after the animals. So, <laughs> wow. so, so uh, which, which are you in this analogy? Uh, I, have, I have no idea. I can tell you this. Beer here, one, pound, one euro fifty. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Wow. So the animals will need looking after. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, is that the bar you watch the rugby in? Yeah, it was. So... I rocked up here at uh, 10 to 8. It's 10 to 8 for the Ireland game at 10, 10 to 8. Ordered a coffee, no coffee. Ordered a tea, no hot water, no hot beverages. Okay, breakfast, no. The only thing you could have was one pound 50 beers. Sorry, one euro 50 beers. So I had two of them, 
and then I uh, slid off to watch the England game elsewhere where I could have a coffee. I had a wonderful black Nescafe. Amazing. No expense yeah, spared. intended. Absolutely. And, this and, place is the lap of luxury. And then weren't you doing some CrossFit or some swimming yesterday after your breakfast mm. beers? Yes. So, if I lived overseas, somewhere as hot as this, next to a beach, I would be in unbelievable shape. Un unbelievable. Oh, I've joined a CrossFit gym. Everyone there is um, young, tanned and absolutely ripped. So I fitted in no problem whatsoever. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, um, yeah, just been sw I've done about three miles today, today in the sea. Very Can't nice. Of it. Yeah, it's um, lovely. Amazing. Mm. Well, yeah, if it was winter, I'd have, I, I would have Googled the rugby team, see, see what they're up to. But I don't think they're going to be training. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't for kids, I'd have been doing something like that already. I'd be up in the mountains in Greece and, uh, and down to the sea. But, uh, that's where I'd be. But, Yours are uh, nearly old enough to leave now, though. Aren't, yeah, not, aren't not long. Not long. And, yeah, I've got, it's not um, far, is it? Yeah. And the fact we can still do a podcast uh, is in these sort of scenarios will make that worthwhile as well. So, um, oh, Phil's internet's slightly weak. So I'll just uh, go through a couple of the uh, housekeeping bits and bobs. Thank you for listening. We are the only, only rugby podcast that's there for you 52 weeks of the year, nearly 10 seasons. And here we are again uh, after a big international day of rugby yesterday. A whole day of rugby. Did you manage to watch all of it, Jay? I did not see Scotland. I wish I did, though. Yeah, that, that was that was pretty tidy. We've got lots to talk about. Are you still there, Phil? I am. I'm, I'm, oh, uh, I, can hear, I can hear everything perfectly. I'm going to turn my camera off. That's a good so you, shout. So you can no longer see my uh, 2018 Columbia football shirt. That's a lovely shirt. Nice. Uh, Come on. Save that bandwidth. And did you, with your, with your sprogs with you and the wife and stuff did you manage to steal yourself away for well for how much so watched second half of Ireland New Zealand uh, the boring half uh, I watched the whole game of England Australia and then have caught up on highlights of pretty much everything else with the exception of Fiji Tonga that's about it oh and I've only watched kind of half of the highlights of uh, France Japan so the home nations, yeah, it was a, a pretty tidy game. Uh, so yeah, um, we are uh, hit subscribe if you haven't already, because these are the links we go to even when JB's on his holiday. Well, and Phil are on their holiday. We're still doing a podcast for you. So there's something for you every single Monday morning. And if you appreciate that, hit subscribe, leave a five-star review, tell your mates, or go to patreon.com forward slash egg chasers for extra content. Uh, come on then, JB. And you must have been, I mean, you're on, you're on holiday and you're, you, you were, I've never seen you so prompt for the start of a podcast where do you want <laughs> come on let's have well, downfall 2022 let's let's begin well I, I want to do it the other way around i wanted to see how you can do how you could defend eddie because you know the idea that you're only allowed to win or you should only win once every four years is ludicrous um he he's got to be coming to the end of his tenure now i, I know he's tied in till the world cup but I don't think what we saw was nearly good enough. And I think a coach of his experience should know to walk away, I think. And I would also say a coach of his experience should know what's going wrong, but he doesn't know what's going wrong. I think he's run out of ideas. And not only has he run out of ideas, he's basically crushed and burnt out everyone who wants to work with him who might have the ideas. So he's in a real tough place. And I think the RFU are in a tough place because they're stuck with this. What I think is still a fantastic team. I think England are a really, really good team. But 
the head coach seems clueless, it has to be said. I think he's um, run out of road. Phil, would you want to jump to Eddie's defence? So, I'm not really going to defend him in this game. And, and actually, looking back over the preceding uh, four losing games, it is tough to defend. Um, what I would say is I'm, I'm not calling for Eddie's head. I kind of trust the longer project. And I trust the World Cup. But it's mightily both um, disheartening and concerning that England are in this state with little over 12 months to go. Now, there's there's lots of factors in this, um, but they're all really, excu- really, really excuses. England have got a great team. They've got talent right across the board. There's some um, question marks over some of the cohesion from a few players who've played together relatively few games, but that's just an excuse, really. So... This this performance was not good enough. Categorically, was not good enough. The Barbars last week was not good enough. The Six Nations was not good enough. But with all that said, I'm still a bit of an Eddie Jones fan. I like him. Um, I like what he's done up to this point, and I still trust that he is the best man to head into the World Cup. But with every game that goes by, it makes that more and more difficult to um, to retain that trust. Yeah, I would I would echo pretty much everything Phil said, so I won't bother repeating it, but I agree with all of that. The, the, the only other thing, all I would add to it is Wayne Pivak, um, what, last autumn, people were saying he's got to go. And uh, or when was it? Was it? Yeah, was it last autumn? Anyway, pe- people in, in quite recent memory were saying Wayne Pivak, he's got to go, he hasn't got a clue, and they should have beaten the world champions in their own backyard um, for the first time in a long, long time. And... Also, in 2018, England were fifth in the Six Nations and looked dreadful and got to a World Cup final and um, played probably the best rugby that's been played since 2003 in doing so. So for that reason, for those reasons, one, I I don't like knee-jerk reactions generally. I don't like the calling for coaches' heads so readily, just like I don't like people saying, get the kids in so readily. Uh, so you, I, you I, I would continue to the World Cup. You love get you love get the kids in, Tim. You are for Marcus Smith. You are for Freddie Freddie Stewart. You can get <laughs> Joe Cocker and a singer. Will Stewart Stewart. You love them all. Well, let's 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 talk about this game in isolation because it. it, it uh, just, just quickly, I want to hear JB. Do, do, do we twitch the needle for you at all in in the defence of Eddie there? No, no, I'm afraid you don't. And the reason you don't is for well. Well, a lot of reasons, actually. First of all, like, the pivot comparison doesn't really wash with me because I think Pivak is still clueless. But I think his cluelessness, ironically, empowers his players, whereas I don't think Eddie does that. I, I think Eddie wears people, people down. I think he burns them out. I think the pressure on the players when they come into camp is just so intense that there's... Well, it's easy for players to put on, you know, the wrong foot forward and never be seen again and so I don't think he gets gets the best out of them so you know they can both be clueless in different ways uh, and you know have wildly diff- different results as a, a coach might say um, unconsciously competent in the case of Pivak so that's why I would reject that comparison the other one is the selections I think the selections have been absolutely bizarre I alluded to it before that people come in they go out we don't really know why when people say they're happy with how the team is building, I just have to ask them, like, which part? Is it 
the attack part where it changes continuously? Is it the defence part where there's constantly new coaches in? I mean, they, he can't even keep doctors on, on, um, on the staff, let alone coaches. So, you know, you, you can hold two thoughts at once. I do think Eddie Jones is a magnificent rugby intellect. I don't think anyone doubts that. But I just don't think he has any more room for manoeuvre now. I think he has played all of his cards, he's burned all, burned all of his bridges, employed all of the coaches that could possibly help him. I don't think Steve Bor Borthwick would p pick up the phone and go work for him. I don't think the guys he needs to you know, form and mould that attack would pick up the phone to him. So when people say, yeah, I think we're on the right road, I'd say, well, what road is that and what do you like about it? I don't see anything particularly to like about it. So let's let's talk about this game particularly because obviously there's been a few okay. bad, there's been quite a few bad games let's talk about what went well if anything and what went badly in against australia mm -hmm. okay oh, uh, well, i mean we, we don't have to spend too long talking about what went well because really not a lot well there was there was there were positive sides there were like, line yeah. out line out was good um some of the some of the carrying, some of the physicality at times from the forwards was, was brilliant, getting over the game line, um, time after time, but then it it kind of breaks down. Scrum wasn't good enough. Um, front football not knowing what to do with it. Rook was shambolic at times, and the, the, no better examples than twice England got into Australia's five meter line that should be try time. And conceded penalties by um, favourite phrase not not adequately resourcing the rook. So things like that are they're, they're, they're kind of schoolboy at this level. You know that Australia are going to throw men at the the rook. But if Michael Hooper's anywhere near the breakdown, you know he will be over the ball. So how can you let people get isolated five meters out from from Australia's line? That is just basic. Yeah. yeah. There were some very frustrating things. There were there were very very frustrating things in the game, and um, actually, I think for, for as much as for as, we didn't finish any chances really, and that, that no. actually we did create quite a lot. And there were the starting. You were sort of like, I can see what they're doing. I can see the shape and the pattern they're trying to go for, and it just it just wasn't twigging, uh, wasn't clicking. And just jumping back to what JB said about selection. I look at that team and I'm not surprised we lost against Australia. Like just because we're England, we've got no divine right to go and beat any team. That that team had Will Stewart starting a tight head, not convinced by as a as an international starting tight head. I don't think he'd get in any other top tier team. Uh, nope. And he's our starting tight head. Johnny Hill, uh, I like him, and he went with the Lions and stuff. But I, I'm not convinced by him as a top tier starting lock. And, Let himself down. And and the balance with I, I like Billy Vanapola. And, and Courtney Laws and Tom Curry. I like all three of those players, but I just wonder that I'm not, not convinced by the balance of those three because I think you get the best out of Courtney Laws when you've got two proper guys that are just going to go around hitting rucks, winning ball, competing at breakdowns. And Courtney Laws can do his deft little handling touches and ball carrying and destructive defence. I don't know. I just I'm not not convinced by the balance, and I've been talking about the pack for England for for a while now, and I just don't think it's I don't think it's a world class pack at the minute. And and Maru Itoji, who is one of those players you go, he'd make a world fifteen. I'm not sure he would at the moment. He's not playing like Maru Itoji has. It, Itoji, yeah, 
he told you it was quiet. But I, I, I so think, I think that game, the, the kind of the criticism you've you've offered there, Tim. If that game goes differently, we look at this in a totally different light. Like yeah, Johnny Hill, you, yeah, he's, he's a, you've got you've got a load of Lions players. You've got a load of Lions starters in that team. Um, I, I don't think it's the personnel. I just the, the players are not performing as they should be. Um, maybe JB's right. Yeah, maybe the book the book just stops with Eddie Jones, um, which it does as the head coach. But you've got talented players who are yeah. not performing, not not playing up to their potential. I think that's fair. Yeah. And just to, before JB jumps in, I'll just say if you look at Wales, I, I thought uh, along with Falatal, their best player was Will Rowlands, who he was good actually. Yeah, <laughs> who, who was, he was absolutely awesome. And Shame he's not English. <laughs> so yeah it is just about stepping up and performing Phil actually to be fair you, you, you're probably right and not enough players did but that said I could see what England were doing and there were there were enough good things that I feel alright about it they, were just, they just couldn't finish any of them or string enough of them together so, so one of the constants for England I've always felt is that and maybe this is why people still feel that Eddie is the right man there might be some mileage in this they only ever seem 5% away from being a really good team. Even when they're terrible, they're only 5% away. And I think the reason for that is exactly as this game shows and many other games have shown is England are so physical and they, get on t- they can get on top of teams. And when they get on top of teams, they absolutely brutalise them. But if you can stand up to them for any period of time, they fall to pieces. And I think one of the reasons is they are so focused on the conditioning and you know, the actual hard work within the game that when that finally runs out or it stops working, there's only so hard you can work. And once you stop England, they do, well, they just fall to bits. Well, uh, we yeah. saw that again this week. But they can also overwhelm people. And the work rate's there, the talent's there, but it's the winning of the game, which just isn't. Well, let's, let's talk about the fall into pieces because that, that's, that adequately describes it. In, in cricketing parlance, that was a batting collapse. Wasn't um, it? Middle order batting collapse. So 60 minutes... England sort of penalty to go five points up and Australia have got um, Swain red carded from that point for the next 17 minutes or 18 minutes until the, the two final consolation tries which that's all they are they're just consolation tries um, if anything I wish we hadn't scored England hadn't scored those because it papers over the cracks but mm. back to the collapse that 18 minutes was woeful that was some of the worst um, one of the worst performances at any period that I've seen of England they were falling off tackles they weren't getting into defensive line at one point they got pushed off They had England had an eight man pack their own scrum ball and they got hammered against reserve props um, Lucid playing on the tight head side because Alatoa goes off and Australia only put seven men into the scrum and England got destroyed and the tries out wide. The first, the first one I can forgive, because the first one, Australia played some nice rugby and stretched England, but the second two were just they just switched off. They fell apart. There's no other way to describe it. Hmm. Yeah, it was very, very disappointing. Uh, the, the manner of that collapse. That's that's. There's no other word for it. Is there, Jay? That's about spot on. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I can't fathom how you lose the game with more players. Uh, but with more that, but so, so here's one thing, and I'm not trying to make this all about Eddie Jones because I'd rather, you know, I'd rather not actually. That that's kind of, but but I guess like that's 
60 minutes in, they're looking good to win a test match in Australia, which any team doing that, that's to be respected, whether it's by one point or 30. And they're looking well set. And as a result, can you blame, can the blame come on the coaches when players, as you identified, who are experienced, international quality, did things that international players should not do? And I, 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 can't, I, I don't understand how you could sit in a coaching meeting and go, right, the stuff you did for the first 60 minutes, then you started dropping off tackles, misreading defensive lines, not communicating with each other. Like, I, I, I don't know how that comes back on the coaches. It's a good question, isn't it? But, you know, I, just, I think there must be something about the atmosphere in England and the way the, co the coaches treat the players, which just doesn't, I don't know. It's not, it's not that they don't get enough effort out of them. The effort is absolutely superb. I mean, the effort is as good as anyone. But there must be something in there which makes players mentally brittle. And that's the only way that I can possibly describe it. And maybe if you look at the treatment of, of Billy Vinopola, what is Billy now? He's like 31. Now, in my mind, for the most part of that game, he was the most effective ball carrier on, on the field. He was brilliant during the final of, of the Premiership. But yet Eddie, for some reason, decided a few months ago that this guy needed to go out to pasture. And that can't be good for one psyche. And it can't be good for anyone's psyche to think that you're always close to getting dropped unless you are one of the, a few key guys like Owen Farrell or whoever, like, whoever his favourites are. But even someone like George Ford has been disposed of recently. So the, whatever the issue is with England, I don't think it's physical or skill-wise. It, it's probably mental and there's probably an element of system. Those, like, those are two things, and that has to come down to the coaches and the atmosphere. So we've, we've spoken a lot about England. Um, let's talk a bit about Australia, because they won this test, test match, they won it handily, and in pretty um, damaging and um, impactful circumstances. So they lost, before kickoff. they lost Quade Cooper, who was supposed mm. to be starting, um, who's in... in Superb form for Australia. Noah Lolaseo with his giant hands. They are them. massive. They they showed a sh they showed a Huge. shot of him with uh, Sonny Bill Williams in the in the changing room, and he was just pulling up, pulling down his sock and showing Sonny Bill where where the injury was. And I just oh, you're so right about his hands. They're enormous. Huge, <laughs> massive. So they lost him just before kickoff. Lolaseo comes in. Um, I like the comment that James O'Connor was taken out of corporate hospitality. To, to sit on the bench. Now, <laughs> knowing James O'Connor of old, I can only imagine what he'd be doing in corporate <laughs> hospitality, but he's a change man yeah, he's now. Probably, he's probably meditating. Yeah, heavy he, breathing. He was up on stage yeah. extolling the virtues of Saviour World to the corporate guests. Really? Exactly. So so you lose him, then uh, Bank, Tom Banks, God, that, that looked a horrible injury. Yeah. His, his forearm and wrist. I've not actually seen a report... Um, saying what happened to it, but it looked like... Nice of, the, nice of the TV director in Australia to give us lots of replays of that. Oh, God, I wish they hadn't. I, you know, it's not one of the things I want to see, but I do quite like the TV director showing that because it is kind of part of the game. It, you know, when they sort of cover it up and say, yeah, we don't need to see that, that was too gruesome. I'm like, no, no, show it, because kids need to know what they're getting into. <laughs> I, this, this is I, it, this is what happens. I, I just prefer one replay, though. One, one yeah. is enough of that. Yeah, yeah, what, one angle over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ala Alatoa, so obviously they've had some issues with tight head prop. You had um, Slipper on the bench, who's um, primarily a loose head but can play tight head. 
Yeah, no Taniella Tupu was probably their, you know, one of their very best players, if not their best player. Ooh. Exactly. Did you see? And uh, Alalatoa goes off after 20 odd minutes. Mm. Yeah. Now, did you see Australia's physio? Uh, didn't notice it. She was quite a slight woman, about 40, I'd say. Um, anyway, the reason I bring her up is because she just made the most perfect juxtaposition for Alu Alatoa when he came off because she was hel uh, hel helping him off. That boy is enormous. I love it when they get these players to stand next to like just normal humans. She was just a perfectly no normal human. <laughs> he he is enormous. I just thought like he would look great in a Zara t-shirt. Like his like him and Karevi uh, would look great in tight t-shirts. <laughs> I, I imagine that's who uh, Zara get to model their t-shirts, right? I I would I would imagine so. Uh, so, yeah. but but on serious note, on him, he was a huge loss because they've got to rejig their um, uh, rejig their scrum. Not only do he need to rejig their scrum, the amount of um, forward packs that rely on that rotation in the front row for the, for, the, for the second half, because of course the work rate that comes through your front row is enormous. So that was actually a, you know that should have been. I mean, oh, I was going to say it should be a turning point. England were just handed this game and they threw it away. They were handed it. Yeah, and I, I would say just whilst we're throwing praise at Australia, and also I will say hello to, to Matt and Hugh and the rest of the gang from Green and Gold who are still very much going and have extended an offer for us to do a little link-up podcast um, in, in the wake of D Downfall 2022. So I, I, we might send you up to do that, JB. Well, I was offered to go on a podcast, sort of like this. Then I was told that they've got bloody Mick Clary doing it. Well, if you think Mick Clary's a bigger name in the podcast world than JB... Who? <laughs> Absolutely who? not interested. Who is that anyway? What's going, on? What's, what's going on around you, Jay? This like, sounds like there's some a party kicking off. Mick Clary fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was going to say is unbelievable. If we want to show, if we want to sh uh, throw some praise Australia's way, uh, Corabetti and Karevi, I love how much when they've got two explosive uh, players in the back line. They get them involved and on the ball loads. They get the ball in their hands all the time. And it's I think that's a blueprint for England. If you're going to pick Joe Thock and a singer, which I personally wouldn't have done, but if you are going to make that call, uh, it, and that, then give him, make an effort to get him the ball. It, it kind of looks like Eddie went, right, well, we're going to pick a very much, uh, we've got a tool to do a very specific job. And then the guys out on the field did not use that tool. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Oh, oh, although, can I just say on Joe Cock and a singer, not a guy I would pick either. I did not expect him to be as effective as he was on the kick chase. And if that's the reason he was there, yeah, as an argument to say, well, I'm not, not going to go as far as say he's a good selection, but maybe he was the right select. Well, so, sorry, maybe it was the wrong strategy, but he might have been the right player for that because I thought his kick chase was really good. He, he did work hard um, off the ball. Yeah. He just didn't get any opportunity on the ball. And that's, yeah. that's one of the problems with, with England's attack in this. I don't really know what was going wrong, but um, Marcus Smith did not look himself at all. There was, there was at least two or three passes that just went, well, not to hand, which is the most important thing and very unusual for, for Marcus Smith. Well, I do have some views, actually, on, the, on England's attack. And uh, if you have a minute or so, I'd be happy to share them. I'm, I'm waiting for it. C can I guess what it is? You'll it's know all one of them. It's all Owen Farrell's fault. Yeah, I mean, there is a large part of that, but I'll go. For, I'll go from the beginning. 
So here's something which absolutely blew my mind, which I found out last week. A lot of teams, in fact, I'd say almost all teams set up on the pitch with their forwards across it, don't they? In a sort of rugby league style. So two, four, two, or whatever the number might, 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 might be. Or, you know, three, two, three, or whatever one, their pod One, three, three, one. Yeah, something like that. Whatever it is. There's so many different permutations from it. England don't do this. England play very loose, off-the-cuff off the rugby. So I was drilling in. It's like, what, you have no formation whatsoever? There's no... No, uh, what we basically do is we come around the corner over and over again. The first lads there, you have to play, play what's in front of them. Now, I've played both round the corner rugby and I've played structured rugby. And I know I'm no international, but I love the structured rugby more, a lot more, because it spreads the workload across many players, it gets more people involved. But I will say this, around the corner rugby, does, man, does, does allow you to showcase your better players more. So if you get around the corner faster and harder and you want to carry more ball, around the corner rugby is, is the one for you. So that's what England are doing. Now with around the corner rugby, which is effectively what it is, it's very hard to execute something like the All Blacks were doing this week, which is apparently, and I'd need to watch it again, but apparently they were attacking two sets of hands out onto the Irish line. Now, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but let's just assume that England needed to do that when you're coming around the corner, it's nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible to play, play, off, the, play off the 10 coming around the corner, let alone um, do something that complex. So that might be one of the reasons that England's attack is falling flat. The second one is indeed Mr. Farrell. And I'll explain this now. It's not him per se, but you watch Farrell play and what you have is a world-class player effectively throwing passes that most forwards or any inside centre can do. They're using him just to create space for Marcus Smith. He might do a few other things. What he's not doing is really good inside centre work like a Manu might do, or a Esther Hazen does, or Brad Barrett does. He is not that. And the cost of having Farrell in at 12 means that the so-called second pair of hands is wasted in that 12 position. You don't need a 10 at 12. You need a 10, much like South Africa showed, at 10, and then maybe at fullback or a little bit further away. 13 is good for a second pair of hands, 15 is good for a second pair of hands. What they're asking Owen Farrell to do is a complete and utter waste of his time. And the sooner they, they, uh, they bin it, the better. Add on to that, him and Marcus Smith are watching the game in two completely separate ways. Owen Farrell and Ford see the game exactly the same. They, they were brought up together, they played in the same teams. They're both hard northerners, you know, both their dads are coaches, they know each other, like they see exactly the same thing. Marcus Smith is completely different. And I think when you've got dominate, a domineering Owen Farrell wanting to do one thing, Marcus Smith sort of caught in two minds. It's not helping him, it's not hel hel helping Owen Farrell. Effectively, they're wasting both of these players. I think you play one or the other and that'd be fine. I'll tell you what, I'll throw that to Phil via a quick email from Jeremy O'Gorman, contactdeadchasers at gmail.com. He says, love the pod, blah, blah, blah. I was thinking of England's problem, Smith-Farrell combo. Uh, opinion seems to be Smith or Farrell, but not both. The proviso is that Smith needs a big 12 to play with and protect the channel. There isn't really a 12 like that, as Manu and Kelly are injured. But <laughs> So he's kind of agreeing with you generally, JB. Then he also just points out, but there is someone big who can play 12 who isn't in the party, but is in Australia, Sam Burgess. Love the pod, blah, blah, blah. 
<laughs> Phil. All roads lead to Sam Burgess. <laughs> Could you imagine if he gets a call up for the next test? Did you hear the text exchange between Sam Burgess and Jamie Roberts, which Jamie Roberts announced or mentioned oh, on a rival podcast that it might have been might have been a rugby pass podcast? No, I've not seen it at all or heard it. It was unbelievable. Uh, Sam Burgess texting Jamie Roberts, like, you know who I am, and do you, uh, just, just all sorts of schoolboy stuff to Jamie Roberts. And this is all regarding something Jamie Roberts said about not really rating Sam Burgess or ha and how Scott, um, Scott Williams was very offended that, J that Sam Burgess didn't know who he was absolutely nailed him and said well you know who I am now like there's a whole sort of story I'm, I'm not doing it justice go on to Rugby Pass find this story about Sam Burgess Jamie Roberts <clears> and the text messages that Jamie Roberts started getting from Australian number oh and the phone call after Sam Burgess has been on the beers and it's brilliant that it's, sounds great it's very good you um, promoting some grassroots podcasts as well JB that's good. I, I will. Ju I will just say that the, the uh, World Cup 2015 game against Wales was going great until Sam Burgess went off. But anyway, Phil. Yeah. Uh, just, just, just to the point on Owen Farrell. Um, from from what we've seen so far of Owen Farrell and Marcus Smith, it is not working yet. However, we do have quite a lot of um, history and evidence of Owen Farrell playing inside centre very effectively from 2016 through to the 2019 World Cup, including a stint with Sexton. For the Lions, and I, I would I would put it down more to the not the fact that Owen Farrell doesn't have the skill set or can't play there, but he's hardly played there with um, with Marcus Smith. I mean, mm. is this the second game he's played there with Marcus Smith? Uh, That's what. Say again, Jay. I, I do. Maybe in the, I just can't see these two guys as characters working. With their backgrounds, you know, they're from two clubs that hate each other with two completely different styles. Owen is the boss, yet he's actually not the boss, is he, when he's not playing 10? Nothing about this works. I mean, Owen is the boss when he's playing with Ford, but he doesn't really need to be because they think the same. I can't see how either of these boys changes in order to make this work. I mean, so what... Just about as Marcus Smith, every single situation he finds himself in, <clears throat> he sees it as a potential to score. And I don't think that's the same with Owen Farrell. Not a knock on Owen Farrell at all. Just two completely different players. I, I think I think they are different players, but I think I think they can get the best out of each other. But it needs time. You, 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 England can't keep switching things up. I think Eddie Jones has decided that this is the the starting combination for, to go into the World Cup, and I, I would back that. And I just hope he sticks with it because. You've kind of got 12 or 15 games between now and the World Cup. Maybe 18 games if you if you want to make it to the late stage of the knockout uh, rugby. That's that's not a huge number of games, but it's enough for those two to cement a proper relationship. I just hope that's what, what England do. Because there's been too long for England where they've... Uh, most of the last 10, 12 years, England have been, in the centres, have been rolling the Manu dice. They've been yeah. just yeah. praying to the gods that Manu is fit. because And Stuart Lancaster was guilty of this um, to a degree. Eddie Jones has been guilty of this. Um, and God knows how many coaches at Leicester Tigers, um, until they got rid of him, have been guilty of this. But I don't think England can can um, bank on that. They need to have a strategy that they can they can trust and get 
and play consistently and cohesively until the next World Cup. I, I really agree with that. And in football parlance, it, it just it, it reminds me of the whole uh, Lampard and Gerrard in the same team kind of together. One of them, you have to play slightly yeah. out of position to, to, to accommodate them in a team. And that was forever the conversation. But like I actually agree because you cannot point to a better 12, which is kind of the point that was made by uh, Jeremy on that last email. And... Uh, Ethan John Bamfield has got in touch contactedchasers at gmail.com and one of the points he, he made is he said England uh, are a little bit uh, or Eddie Jones is starting to act a little bit like Gareth Jenkins in the lead up to the 2007 Rugby World Cup constant tinkering with lots of lacklustre results and disappointments the old smashing result which looks like the side have turned a corner followed by a drop back and the coach constantly saying judge me on the World Cup it's about building for the World Cup etc uh, he actually points out that Wales play a pragmatic 10 and 12 who do pragmatic 10 and 12 things uh, but that was his hot take at the end of the England Australia game but the point I would take from what Ethan said that I agree with and what you've just said Phil is just we, we, stop tinkering we actually people would asking for Marcus Smith asking for Marcus Smith there is no better 12 option there there just isn't and Owen Farrell is a world-class player and we do have the body of evidence so this is it it takes time. It was a, a relatively new team. If that backline has never played together as a as a, as a unit of seven before, Danny cares in for the first time in over three years. Um, so yeah, give it time. They will be better, but um, it wasn't great. I think is my assessment. Yeah, with, I with would. So just go back to the Manu, the, the hook on Manu thing. If Manu plays, I think this combination. I don't think it works. But I don't think you notice that it doesn't work. Because the problem is, fundamentally, when Owen Farrell does his little snazzy forward, not forwards pass, but, you know, um, easy pass to buy some space for Marcus, the opposition are just looking around going, well, who are you going to pass it to? Like, it doesn't bother us. No one's really in danger. Well, you're going to pass it to Marchant with no space. Marchant needs space. Manu does not need space. They need somebody who does not need space. And I think that is the missing Which is why they have... They picked Thopin Singer doing? for that job and didn't use him in that job. As the point I, I don't earlier. think they did, you know. I really don't think they did. And the reason I think that is because I don't even think he was there to attack, really. I think he was there to kick, sorry, to chase kicks, which kind of makes the whole Marcus Smith selection redundant anyway. You know, you just got Marcus Smith to kick it, Owen Farrell to kick it. They did not look like a team that was set up to attack particularly effectively. Marchant is a great, um, a great player, but... You know, he's a really, really great player. I just don't think, just don't think anyone could really get a brilliant, game back, a brilliant backup for Henry Slade. I think him and Slade should play together. That's what I think. So I think he Henry Slade, Slade, Martin Slade, and one of the two lads who play ten and twelve play at ten. That is my favourite backline by miles. No, so we actually, saw. Gone. Well, we saw the March and Slade in the Six Nations, and I think that I think that can work, but it didn't work particularly well in the Six Nations. Mm. But what what did work very well in the Six in the Autumn Internationals last year was when Manu went off injured. Smith, Farrell, Slade worked to treat against South Africa. Mm. Yeah, and I, because Slade gives you the extra, the actual extra pair of hands where you need a pair of hands plus an outside break, plus a bit of physicality, plus all the things that you need. So, yeah, Slade, uh, I think Slade does look rather, rather, rather important right now. And then, you know, you just do whatever you need to do with Farrell. 
just just um, before we get off this game, because I'm, I'm kind of aware that how long has this been? Yeah. 40 minutes. And other than talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. Uh, JB's shipping container in Gran Canaria, um, we've we've not touched on any other games. But we've, we've got to just touch briefly on the red card, yellow card situation. Yeah. What As yeah. forwards, so I, I don't get involved in the rough stuff, obviously. Far too pretty for that. Um, what... What was your take on that Swain Hill interaction? Let Let me just go first, JB, and then I'll let you go. I'll I'll be relatively quick on this. Firstly, I will just point to ice hockey as a sport I love because it it celebrates the gladiatorial nature of the sport and it and it leaves space and isn't ashamed that that sometimes happens. And then those players get punished afterwards. But um, I I understand the the red card. I think there are degrees of headbutt and when you just say headbutt you think uh you could be a headbutt that spreads someone's nose across their face in a in a pub <laughs> on on a friday night or it could be frustration the guy just donking into johnny hill so i would uh, a little bit of empathy on that i wouldn't have minded a yellow card for just like st- stop it but also um i can totally understand like the game is about as physical a game as you can possibly get and johnny hill has just been an absolute um, shithouse for the last few minutes and wound him up deliberately. And I appreciate that Swain's got a responsibility to control himself, but I, I totally understand it. So it just what doesn't sit with me is that Johnny Hill could could sit there on the on on one of those white plastic B and Q chairs on the sideline, sort of having a little giggle like he got one over on him when he's been an absolute shit house. So I I would I would have preferred two yellows, but I understand the uh, change behaviour brigade and all the rest of it. Clamour for reds, JB. Yeah, uh, basically the same. Um, I would say this though, you know, when you look at all the great uh, open side flankers, uh, say Tom Curry or um, Hooper. Richie McCaw, Sam Kane, any of those boys, Sam Warburton, the first thing that they do is they go to a breakdown and they test the referee, see what he'll allow, see what he won't, see what, see what he won't allow, see what the uh, assistants will allow, and then if they get pinged for it, they go talk to the ref. If they don't, they'll push it a bit further, they'll push it a bit further. And as far as I can see, this game started with the officials letting everything go. Johnny Hill, and I agree with you 100% here, there are degrees of headbutts. Although I do remember when you said Joe Marler didn't kick someone in the head, and they did, you know, there's no other way to say it. He did kick someone in the head. But there are indeed degrees of kicking in the head too. So it was a headbutt, it, 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 it was a kick to the head. But you're right, there, there are degrees. So Johnny Hill, if we're going to take these examples, struck Swain in the head. There is no if, ifs or buts about it. Swain is completely off the ball. I don't even think he's looking at Johnny Hill. Johnny Hill's a powerful man, two hands into the head, pushes him. That's unacceptable by today's laws. Now, if that is a standard that the officials have set, so be it. And if the officials think it's getting out of hand, you know, one guy has had has been struck in the head, let's call it that. Then he's been, had his then he's had contact to the head, if you want to call hair, hair pulling contact to the head, let's call it what it is. Contact to the head area. Okay, fine, again. And then all of a sudden, this guy snaps and puts his head into Johnny Hill's head. I mean, I think that's fair game. And not only do I think it's fair game, I think if the officials are like, oh, hang on a minute, we've let us get out of hand, yellow card them both. Or say, look, 
we've let this go for a little bit. You've, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you've had your fun. Wind, wind it in now. Go, go play rugby. The next one of you to pull something like this does get a yellow card or does get a red card. And if it's completely egregious, like he swung a punch or spread his nose all over his head, uh, or his face, yeah, red card him. There was nothing that Swain did that I thought was outside of the window that the officials had already set for him. But by the letting the provocation minutes. go with Johnny Hill pushing him in the face at that previous ruck, but by letting yeah. that go, you the, the the officials had set the bar. I, I, I actually think that's, that's exactly quite, right. a fair, quite a fair point, Jay. Yeah, I, I, I tend to. So in, in my book, um, agree with this or disagree with this, but if you head some, headbutt somebody, um, it's a red card, basically. Yep. It's, it's, there's no place in the game. You shouldn't do it. Now, I, I do totally get the point. There are degrees of headbutt, but um, yeah. just if you lose your head to the point where you headbutt someone, it's a red card. But then exactly yep. to JB's point, yes. I don't see what Johnny Hill did with the push to the face or the hair pulling as significantly worse than that. Therefore, I'm not far off a red card for Johnny Hill. And I'm I, I'm sure exactly. I I'm sure I saw earlier today that Johnny Hill has not been cited, which I'm yeah he hasn't I am surprised at that because that's actually so it was men mentioned in comms that um, the law book is silent on hair pulling. It, it's actually quite a good opportunity for World Rugby to just say no no we're not we're just not going to accept hair pulling like the end of. Uh, I, I'm actually I'm actually going to dis I'm actually going to dis. I'm actually going to disagree with you in that don't add more laws. This should just be something which referees go. They see hair pulling. They go. You just got you just got someone reacting because you pulled his hair. Mm. Uh, so either, as you said, you go. That's that's just unacceptable. We're not having that on a rugby field. Um, you can have a red card as well. Or you say, what did you expect him to do? You both got a yellow. Mm. I don't. I don't actually think it's something you need to legislate on. It could just yeah. be like actually re, re, like. There's, we know when we say kind it. Of, kind of to Jay's, JB's point, and I'm not going all oh, better in the old days, I'm not saying it should be like this, but you could imagine that if a referee had seen that little uh, battle happen in like the early 2000s or, you know, whatever, he would have got the two players over and made them shake hands and just get, yeah. on, say, get on with it. <laughs> now, from a personal point of view, I saw the hair pulling and I thought, this is bloody great. Johnny Hills pushed him in the face. Swain was basically throwing his elbows everywhere. Not that malicious. Oh, so actually, maybe it wasn't Swain. It might have been Laws, actually. I just remember Swain getting real dusted up. But I also remember Swain playing really well, being really aggressive up until that point. Now, I do understand that maybe professional rugby players don't want this. Like, hang on, hang on a minute. I'm in the international team because I played the game in a certain way, and I'm not happy about this idiot breaking the laws in order to get one over on me. Now, no one wants to admit that they've been bullied off the ball to the point that they need to go to the ref. But actually, you can do that. Like, you can get hold of your captain hoop and say, look, this is unacceptable. He's struck, struck um, and with the captain as well, he's struck me in the head, he's done that. You're putting the referee on notice that I'm not okay with this and it's got to stop. But actually, both lads were okay with it. They were okay with it. It was a great contest and one which I was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. And I think it's probably one that both them relish too. This is what they grew up wanting to do. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think we sort of all broadly on the same page, or there's enough we can agree on, and some yeah. people may disagree, and that's absolutely fine. And that's what contact headchasers at gmail.com is is for. Ben Tubby, just by the way, got in touch. His he, he he kind of is broadly in agreement with what we just said, but then mentions the one that actually I think 
and I don't want to just go on about referee decisions. I definitely don't. But uh, the the the, Binny, the Billy Vanapola yellow is the one that I makes me feel sorry for players because I I don't know if if I was a coach, I don't know if I was sitting with Billy Vanapola going over that, I'd say, yeah, you really need to change your behaviour because like it's just it's just it's, really bad luck. It's that that's it. Look on that one is is the thing because that kind of tackle happened fifty times in that game. Right, it's that yep. magnitude, and because Hooper dropped the ball on the way down, it gets looked at and the penalty gets reversed. And that that if you were to pinpoint a swing, um, that would be the moment of the swing. That's that's probably the biggest moment of swing. Now that that doesn't excuse everything that we said was poor about England in that in that collapse, but that was the moment of the swing. That that penalty being. Um, well, there's a knock-on in England's favour in Australia's half turned to a penalty in Australia having a line-out 20 metres from England's try-line. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, I just on that, I, I, not to go back to Johnny Hill too much, but watch the, the Billy V tackle again. And I think Stewart is on the field. It's a, it's a double tackle with Stewart. Stewart makes the contact first, and Stewart is almost forcing the player down into onto the level of Billy Vanapola's shoulder. So Billy Vanapola actually would have hit a reasonable height, maybe a tad high, but a reasonable height. The player gets forced down. Now that is completely involuntary, completely out of the control of, 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 of Billy V. There's no malice in it, there's no intent. In fact, the intent is fine, not that intent comes into the law, but maybe it should, because when you go back and look at what Johnny Hill did, just the pushing to the head, which is off the ball, within, there's no other way, it is intent, there's everything wrong with that, and yet Billy is the one that gets that, that gets the yellow card. It's, it's mad. Well, well, even even matching the sanction uh, sanctions, a deliberate hair pull versus uh, a, a player who, because it's a dynamic game and decisions are made in microseconds, and Billy Villapola was at a reasonable height, and Michael Hooper did dip a lot. It just it just I don't like the fact that those two things had the same outcome. Yeah. So, well, how about this in the Wales game? Uh, Dan Lydiot tackles low. He's got his arms wrapped. Two lads tackle like shin height. Um, I think it is Malherb goes absolutely toppling over, lands on his head. Right. So obviously t tackling low isn't the be all or end all for head injuries, but of course it has to get looked at. And you think, well, you can't go any lower. You can't wrap anymore. But yet yeah, they're inspecting this because someone's on their head. They're inspecting it almost like. Al Capone get, getting his taxes uh, audited. Like, it's got nothing to do with actually what the offence could, could be. They're looking, they're just looking for something. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Is that... Is well, that I th- a, sorry, Go I was going to say, is that a good time to segue yeah. on to 50 minutes in to segue on to uh, Wales South Africa yeah, yeah they definitely deserve a lot of praise I mean what a gutsy bunch of men that Welsh team are uh, and you're not I, so I, hard I, I owe I owe Pivik and the, the whole Welsh team an apology because I said they had no chance I said they're going to get absolutely hammered they that was a hell of a performance so they, they they've lost in a in similar manner overall they've lost by three points whereas England lost by two points Australia will take so much more out of that game in terms of themselves, their performance and and frustration because I've only seen the replay, but it, it showed the yellow cards. It looked like um, Wales were hard done by on at least a couple of those yellow card decisions. But yeah. actually, when you're, when you're dropping down to 12 men with um, 20 minutes left on the clock at altitude, that's, that's going to have a big impact. Yeah, do you know there's been a bunch of things in the last uh, however long that you know can make you look and look around and make you think the world is ending, and it might be you know a sign of the horsemen of the apocalypse and stuff. I think Wales down to 13 men pushing South Africa over for a driving mall try. <laughs> that, that, was... that might be like the <laughs> end of days is coming. Unbelievable. It really was, wasn't it? It was. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what how they did this. I mean, I wonder if they are just the perfect antidote to South Africa. South Africa, like limited ball in playtime, they like to be physical. They like to do to teams what Wales attempted to do really, which is limited kind of you know, ball in play, kick it a lot, take your points. I just wonder if it is styles that really, that really affected South Africa here. It's sort of dragging them. Yeah, because Wales, Wales really pushed down. them in the World Cup as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was Massively, obviously yeah. under, um, under Gatland and Gatland was all, all about staying in the fight until the end this felt well similar actually this is slightly different but it didn't know it actually did feel, feel similar I thought uh, Dan Bigger was outstanding I mean if you talk about leaders mm. I mean that is a leader that is an absolute leader and then it does help doesn't it when the best player on the park Tolupe Falatau starts playing like the best player on, on the park and you know you get a couple of lucky breaks. You've got the guy to finish it off in Lewis Rees Summit. I mean, let's be honest. Both of the opening tries for Wales were complete and utter luck. Comple- well, they forced the luck, but you know a lot of times that ball will not well, bounce to the fastest guy on the pitch. The, the second one, yes. The first one was lovely hands to put uh, yeah, Rees Summit away two two minutes in. That I don't think that one. But, I, th- I think after that, I, th- I think they did have a bit of luck. Yeah. But I mean, they also had a turnover, didn't they? So they turned it over at the line out. So pressure at the line out. Yeah, and they executed. And who was on the end of it? Reece Summit. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Reece, he is. Like you say, you two most talented guys, or two of the most talented guys in the world. Uh, Falatau plays like it because he's he's not injured and he's away from the hellhole that is Bath. Um, and Reece Summit, you, you create the space for him or he finds himself in space. No one's catching him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you say the hellhole that is Bath. 
the hellhole that is Welsh rugby in, in general <laughs> means that as soon as they're away from that place, I mean, the, the, the regional hell theory is holding up quite well for me, I think. It, well, it's, it's working. It's working still at the moment. Um, yeah. South Africa. So obviously they came back in tough circumstances. If you were a South African fan, would you be concerned that their only real route back into it against at times 12 Welshmen um, and 12 Welshmen who are not playing particularly well for their clubs and regions, um, your main route back into it is the bomb squad and pushover tries? So the Bongi Madambi, Malcolm Marks and the penalty try. I think the big takeaway is, and you know, I don't think this game needed to have been the evidence to point to this fact, but you will not win a World Cup with Elton Yanchis as your first choice 10. <laughs> You'd be lucky to win a level seven game with Elton Yanchis as your first uh, uh, as your first choice 10. I think he was unlucky. From what I understand, he's not had any competitive rugby since about December. So, hell of a thing to just throw him back in. That has to lie with the coaches. That said, I thought the tactical changes to replace him were rather were rather exceptional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who'd have thought Vili Larue's quite a good rugby player? Yeah. Well, da- Damien Damien Wilhelms was it Wilhelmsy or how do you Vil- say his name? Wilhelmser. 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 He is Wilhelmser. some player. I mean, he, he, I didn't even know he could play ten. I had no idea. No idea. He slots in at ten. Um, he gets a little bit of a helping hand from Willie Larue. And hey, presto, you've got two pairs of hands, not at 12, but at 15 and 10. And, oh, two 15s, two 15s playing 15 and 10. So it works either way. And it made the world a difference. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, Willie LaRue, he's, he's played that role for years for the Springboks. And he, when Andre Pollard in the run-up to the World Cup in the last few years, um, when Andre Pollard, who is, he's a very good kicker of the ball, he's tactically astute, He's not a great distributor. Um, or he's not renowned for being a great distributor, run over the ball, playmaker. But having Willie LaRue in there to take some of that burden from him, when you've got Lucano Am and Damian Diolande, who are brilliant centres, but again, they're not they're not really Henry Slade in the centre, are they? So no, yeah. No. It was it was a great switch up. But even that, it was it and South Africa did come more to life, but it was the it came more time in the second half, but it was the brute force that got them over the line in this. Yeah, their their driving more is pretty frightening. As like I say, seeing Wales score and uh, to get themselves in that position, they must just be. I don't. I don't think they'll get a better chance because I, I kind of fear that it's going to go the way you predicted it would this week in future weeks. Yeah. Because um, the the mental, as much as physical effort that must have taken from Wales. They, they kind of a little bit. You just like, oh, we gave we we gave absolutely everything, and that was the shot. Can we just talk about um, physical effort for a second? Uh, Franz Malherb. Does anyone understand how Franz Malherb gets to look the way he looks? <coughs> um, it's an interesting one because in the World Cup, he was he was the cornerstone of that scrum that was totally dominant. And he was playing in 30, 35 degree heat and 90% humidity and yeah, performing. Right. So maybe it's Or the fact was everyone else just not performing? I mean, is it just the fact that he's a big bloke in his drop-off because it's relative... I don't think he plays at a high level. I'm going to say it, I just don't. 
people are going to think, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. No, I do know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what, 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 what I'm talking about. I look at props like Vincent Cock and I see exactly what they can do around the park in the, in the scrum. Vincent Cock is a million times better than Franz Malherbe from what I can see. And I think this probably uh, demonstrates itself more clearly than, than anything in the fact that Franz Malherbe is still stuck in South Africa. And part of me is thinking now, is he in South Africa? just so he can get one last big payday in France when, when the time comes. Because if he goes now, he's going to be found out big time. He will not last. <laughs> I just can't see him lasting in competitive club rugby. I can't. So you th- he's, he's lazy. You think he's, got, you think he's got one big contract in him and that's it? Yeah. And then once he's got that one big contract, South Africa will find their next mutant and then he can't get the old job back. So I think that's probably, the best probably thing- his thought before he ends up in Pro De Deux. The- if I was South Africa, uh, like, and again, it's hindsight now because it's too late, but about a year ago, I would have gone, do you know what? You've done a great job with Vinnie Cock. We'll have him back. Can you sort out Franz Malherbe like you sorted <laughs> out Will Skelton? <laughs> yeah. Take him. That's, that's, a very good, that's a very good point. Yeah. Well, well apparently, the, fran- the Vincent Cock original contract at Saracens was peanuts compared to what he should have been worth. So he did take a rare, well, a very friend, team-friendly deal to go to Saracens. Malherb would, I would recommend Malherb does the same thing. I really do. Because, I mean, you just, look, I don't know. Top 14 is full of props that look absolutely disgusting. Conversely, it's also full of props that look absolutely phenomenal. You know, that, they have got the widest range of props. I think in the Premiership, you don't get away with looking like Franz Malherbe. No way. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, you, can you think when, of when, when, like, well, because the Franz Malherbe's years in, and he's a World Cup winner already. Whereas you've talked about Thomas Francis before, and by the way, I hope he gets well soon. Mm. Um, but um, but Thomas Francis, do you remember when we watched some of his early international games, and it was carries zero. Uh, meters, meters zero, zero. Yeah. <laughs> tackles zero. I'm so I'm sure that would happen to Malherb too if he played. I mean, I think extra chiefs. Well, you just have to work hard there. There's no ifs or buts. You just have to work really, really hard. And I think Thomas Francis does work hard now, and you can see the progression. I think. Oh, I, I just not the kind. Malherb is not my kind of player. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, other games. What? What? Tim? What? Oh, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome, awesome match. Uh, so I watched I watched Ireland New Zealand yep. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that and I I I need to eat humble pie as well because I was questioning that I thought New Zealand might be in a little bit of transition and I think you know if you asked 100 different New Zealanders to name a team you'd have wildly different sides and whilst I do think that is true and it just goes to show they have got a lot of very very good players because the, the system, the skill set, the, the talent that they have, they are a proper rugby team. And when they've also got the that home soil, uh, a ground they haven't been beaten at in, what, like nearly 70? Uh, no, 20, so, no, 20, 20, 20 something years. 28 years, I think it was. Yeah, crazy to, to have that kind of a record um, anywhere. But yeah, it's uh, they're a frightening outfit when they get going. And I, I think the one... I watched South Africa and I thought Faf de Klerk wasn't at his best. Aaron Smith was like the boy. He, he, he was, was the boy and he makes such a difference. He was so he was so good and his 
his box kicking was on point all game and some of his passing like his pass for that for the Jordy Barrett try there were yeah. there were three options closing in on him and he picks the option that most people didn't I certainly did not even see that as an option when you're watching it and he just picks it hits it and makes it easy because uh the island defense sucks in on the two other options it's so nice and his his little chip as ahead as well for was that the that was was that first RD try where he chips yeah, it over. And he, and he had this and he had the snipe where he broke through and um, Oh yes, through the middle set of the that rook. try up as well. So he was just on another level and is I mean, yeah, when you've got when you've got a guy with that talent all playing at the top of his game, it's uh, in such a crucial position, it's uh, it's huge. And interesting they didn't go for Mwanga and they did pick Geordie at fifteen and Bowden at ten and I think we I think we saw enough for New Zealand to know that they're gonna improve before the World Cup and they're starting from a pretty solid base. Yeah. And there are things to improve on. I think there's a lot of things to improve on for New Zealand. So they did a number on Ireland. I do think it's very interesting though that the three opportunities Ireland had in the twenty two, every time they got over New Zealand's line, or at least it felt like it. So they scored the first try, the second try straight after the second half, and then they had two back-to-back disallowed tries. When Ireland actually had the ball in the 22 of New Zealand, it was relatively straightforward. There wasn't much in the way of resistance. The problem was everything else. Uh, also, Ireland looked like a team that are better without the ball, for large parts, than with the ball. With the ball, some of that stuff was horrific. Like, absolutely horrific. And I don't know why. I mean, they've got no, no, they've got no excuse because other than Benetton away this year, with, you know, what competitive games have they actually played? I mean, they played like three games. You know, shock, that, that is not good preparation for, for international rugby. But, um, uh, you know, there was the turnover try where, I'm trying to think, is it seven scores? It was absolute clown show. There's no other word for it, clown show. So, well, Ronan O'Gara, after the game, did say that he said in the in the URC and even in the Heineken Cup, you can make a mistake and you might lose twenty meters in a bit of ter- bit of territory or something. He said you 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 make poor decisions and give up the ball and don't treat it as a, you know the golden egg that you grow up being told the the rugby ball is treated like a golden egg. You don't do that against New Zealand and you're back under your own sticks and yeah they they got punished. And just before I jump to you, Phil, I'll just I'll just weave in this little email from Will Vernon, uh, contactedchasers at gmail uh, he said, having listened to the Irish commentators and being on Twitter, uh, there seems to be zero self-reflection from them about what went wrong. Everything's been about how poor the ref has been and how New Zealand got away with cheating. Hmm. In brackets, it's a rugby player's job to cheat as much as possible. Uh, Ireland are always, quote, unlucky not to get a decision at the scrum or TMO uh, poor TMO decisions. In my view, poor scrummaging from Porter, poor decisions when passing, uh, no answer to what happens after Sexton, James Ryan being overrated, conversion rate in the opposition 22 being uh, poor. Uh, Ireland had 10 minutes in the opposition 22 versus New Zealand's two and a half. You never seem to hear or see these brought up or solved. Do you think Ireland need a bit more, uh, need to be a bit more honest with themselves about the balance between game time and rest weeks? This is kind of what you were saying, JB. Uh, This team continually peaks mid-World Cup cycle. Surely there's something wrong with the setup as it happens every cycle. Mm. Phil, some some interesting things in there. I think I think this is frustrating for Ireland because they had a very good um, 
Six Nations. They've they've come in. They've they've got a, a bloody good squad, and other than the first, uh, let's say ten minutes of the first half and ten minutes of the second half, they were by far the sec- the second best team by by a long way. The second best team. So it, that is very frustrating, and it's it's hard to think in the next two weeks what they can do to turn things around against New Zealand. Because New Zealand have got guys to bring back in as well. They had a few players um, who were um, COVID positive last week, which means they missed this game. So they can New Zealand can actually strengthen this team. Ireland can't strengthen the team um, at the moment, and that's Ireland's sixth game of 2022 compared to. It's New Zealand's first game of 2022, isn't it? So if you look at all of that, this doesn't bode particularly well. When when you look at some of the individual performances for Ireland, um, there were there were some good points. I thought um, Dan Sheehan, um, Sheehan, I thought he was brilliant. I thought he, mm. he, he worked so hard um, the whole time he was on. And then, um, what's his name? Heffern, Heffernan comes on for him. Heffernan then takes a knock and he's five minutes after resting, after putting in a massive shift, he finds himself back on the pitch and put in another massive shift. So fair play to uh, to Sheehan. I thought Van der Flair's carrying was very good. I thought he was one of the few guys, every time he got the ball, he was explosive, made the odds. Van, Van, der, Van der Flair is just a quality player and he's in brilliant form at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they looked awesome in that first, in that opening little salvo. They had a bit of a system. They were just going left, right, left, right, not going too far, not taking too many risks, running hard at New Zealand, and it it seemed to it seemed to pay. But as was pointed out in that email, I had no idea Ireland had four times as long in New Zealand's 22 as New Zealand did. But that says everything about the the way that they play. They soak it all up, soak it up, and they've got the skills to finish. When when you've got yeah. when you've got Severis scoring intercept tries and he's in the twenty two for two seconds, um, you're right. And when you've got someone like Ardi Surveyor, his breakthrough and score, that's the kind of thing that like world class thirteens should be doing. And your um, number eight is doing it. He's just he's on another level at the moment, and and has been for for a long time actually. Yeah, that's I mean, I look. Island, I mean, Ardi Survey is brilliant, but Ireland will be looking at that and going, how did we let that happen? In the same way as England, we'll be looking at a couple of Australia's tries, as you mentioned, Phil, and thinking, how on earth did they score that? There were some there were some things that, as good as the players are that finished it, there was just some errors that you just can't do at that level. JB, what's going on? Oh, it's fine, 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 fine. Sorry, continue. What, what, is, have you got uh, someone, just tell us, look, paint a picture. Who's entertaining you? Uh, there is Irish music, and no, I, I don't want to upset Irish listeners. I hate Irish music. So there is an Irish musician playing some string did instruments. They, did they know uh, we were talking about this game? I yeah. I, so I'm literally equidistant between the outside of a Welsh bar and an Irish bar, and they're right next to each other, and they're competing on price for beers. So uh, <laughs> they're both at one one euro fifty. So I, I think that I think that I wonder how I wonder how much the price would have to come down on beers for one of these bars to be empty. I just, I, I, I just do not know. So I'm, I'm just packing up my stuff and I'm just moving elsewhere. That's, that, that's why you can see all sorts of things going on. But hopefully, short effect the broadcast. We are professionals after all. That's right, you, 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 you carry on. You ah. carry on. Um, I, I was marvelling a little bit at New Zealand though, Phil. 
yeah, it's this was this was a good performance. What what I will say is there's a couple of lucky bounces for New Zealand, like like the yeah. Sever Reese, like the uh, Sever Reese intercept, like the Geordie Barrett um, intercept when uh, Jameson Gibson Park was breaking through. Um, that would have put I think that would have put Ireland twelve uh, nil up at that stage, and and the two Ireland tries, but it's kind of if you if you put a certain slant on it, you can tell a story that Ireland um, should have hard done by. Yeah, well, no, not that they were hard done by because they were not hard done by, but they could have made it well, more competitive. Yeah. I guess is the story that you could tell yourself, but you would you would have to ignore big swathes of the game where New Zealand were were totally dominant. Yeah. Yeah. I, t- I, I just as because I can just see JB's walking at the minute. I'll tell you what, uh, and JB, nod if you can still hear what I'm saying. All right, cool. Uh, one thing I will just point out, just it, it seems like an opportune moment to mention it. Uh, the you, you get to have a little look at how other broadcasters in other countries do their rugby because you they, yeah. they were taking Sky Sports were taking the feed and all of the content from the host broadcaster. So you got to look at New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa. And I have to say, I absolutely love what Stan Sport Australia mm. are all about because you got um, uh, you got an interview with Quade Cooper. You got footage, loads of brilliant footage inside the changing room. You got yeah. that shots of Sonny Bill being shown the injury by um, Quade Cooper. You just got it. Kind of felt like access all areas. And I talked about it a little while ago. What I'd love to do before a game is to be able to do kind of like a Martin Brundle pit walk and just stroll around anywhere you want on the pitch, chat to anyone you like. There isn't that yet. I think that would be the aim. But what I, what I think you do get is because Australia is a country where rugby really has to fight to compete with rugby league yeah. and Aussie, Aussie football, Aussie rules football, that Stan Sports, I think, are, are pointing the way for, for rugby broadcasting for, just from the little glimpses I saw. I, I would agree with all of, all of that. And I'd say one extra thing, which is um, I know we have the spider cam in the UK and, and in Europe. Um, some of the angles that they got seemed unique, um, and some of the angles that they got, it was almost like you were playing uh, kind of Joe Nolan with rugby from rugby two thousand eight from behind the um, defensive line or attacking line. That was just it gave you a different perspective to what you would normally get for uh, in UK rugby. So that that was ace. Yeah, JB, how are you getting on? Brilliant, thank you. Brilliant. So. Yeah, agree with all those things. Stan, uh, Stan Sport did look rather good. Uh, this is a point that um, Mark Evans makes quite frequently about Australian sport, which is because it's one of the most competitive sports markets in the world, that the, 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 the broadcasters are pretty much always on their game. And not only that, the sports themselves are always trying to endeavour to... Um, make the sport as popular as possible to their domestic audience which is why um the nrl works so well because they can just change ch- change their rules as and when as as they can for the uh, afl too yeah that's it it's, it's a useful point but um I, I i obviously we've seen in the uk that clubs are struggling and we we can always go for growth so you know let's Let's hope that just a little glimpse, just someone else pulling the 
showing a little bit of ankle about what they can do can inspire and, and we, we can push it on another level. Absolutely. Now, did anyone see Scotland? Um, highlights. Yeah, highlights. Were they without Argentina looked good. Yeah. Scot Scotland well, it was so so if, if you look at the team sheets um, Argentina was close to full strength I would say um, the Scotland team was not full strength to the point no. where um, if you've got um, Blair Kinghorn at 10 and Rory Hutchinson at 15 instead of Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg that is not your strongest strongest um, team um, but apart from that I don't think it was that far off um, Scotland's full strength. So it'd be interesting. I don't, I don't actually know who's travelled with Scotland, as in I don't know whether Finn and Stuart Hogg have travelled. But those as your as your captain and your inspirational Finn Sanity playmaker, if those two are missing, then it's always going to be a different team. Yeah, quite. Um, well, the reason I brought up Scotland. Well, it's not because I want to talk about Scotland, but Argentina. Um, I was going to just ask you a question, which is, what is the best story of, of, of the weekend? I'm going to give you four options. So, it was the bloke that scored his All Blacks try on debut, whose name I do not know, but I just love the fact he went over for his, for his, for his debut try, all of his mates got round him uh, from the eight pickup. Just a fucking, so, sorry, excuse me, a very, very <laughs> good try. So, so, um, so that's, that's, um, that story is Sawakula, um, yes. who's playing for the Chiefs. Who do you know? What, five years ago, he was playing uh, basketball for Fiji. Good lad, good and, lad, and he's amazing. Converted. I, I imagine, I imagine uh, being born and raised in Fiji, he might have played a bit of rugby when he was younger. Uh, he and, dabbled. And being and being six five and one hundred and twenty kilos probably helps as well. Hey, it's useful. It, yeah. But yeah, um, Carberry did. Um, he he made an executive decision on that that. Um, defensive read there didn't he <laughs> a business decision one might say yes. the, the game is over why why try harder um so that was the first one second one was the two australian debutants uh one was what 32 was it for neville and david i can't say his name but he played at um did he play at london irish and saracens i love the fact that they're capping lads at nearly 30 that warms P my heart yeah parecki parecki JB, there's time for you yet, mate. You're in the best shape of your life. I, I, I thought that, you know, when I saw Neville, I thought, I could do that. If he can do that, I can do that. Uh, Arundel, no more needs to be said. Or Argentina winning after being treated pretty poorly by the rest of the world, whether it be through COVID or the restructuring of rugby or all the different things which seem to conspire against this international team. Um, which is the best story of the weekend? Ooh. Um, maybe the maybe the Australia debutants and and to to expand that just what I mentioned before about how difficult the circumstances were for 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 lots of different reasons for Australia for them to win in those circumstances and, and win win well as well. For me, it is Argentina because that was their first home match in three years. Oh. They those wow. boys have lived in hotels. They've travelled all over the shop. They've had to do quarantines. They have gone through more, just logistically, to keep playing rugby than any other bunch of guys. 
and in front of their own crowd, they they put on a show and and look really good. And on on that on the Argentina thing, there was there's I've only seen the still of it, but there was a picture of um, I think it was World Rugby tweeted it. It was Pablo Matera, arm in arm with Augustin Creevy, who at 37 was on the bench and the, the belting out the national anthem and the passion, the passion that comes across from the picture is overwhelming and infectious. It's incredible. Yeah, I actually thought you were going to say uh, Matera arm in arm with, Nel uh, uh, with Nelson Piquet then. Oh, hang on. Is it Nelson Piquet? Have I got the right guy? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Nelson Piquet is a Formula uh, F1 driver. No, Alan Prost. I meant Alan Prost. <laughs> Never mind. If you if you get that if you get that joke, you get it. If you don't, I apologise. <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah, you are absolutely right, Tim. It is it is Argentina. Um, actually, actually, these I've got, guys. Wait, wait. I've got one more. Go on. I've got one more to throw in there. Oh yeah, gone. The international debuts for three blokes over thirty as well for their new or their home countries in Sir, Sir Charles um, Piatau, Malachi Fekitoa and uh, Isalele Falau as he was put down on his on the team sheet. Yeah, that was one that is wonderful to see and the result uh, wasn't great for Tonga. Yeah. Um they've got a, they've got a way to go but fantastic to see uh, those boys back. And uh, they'll be really it's it's a proud thing and um a, a lot of uh well a lot of a certain type of person on Twitter like to uh, <laughs> like to take that uh, and and make a different story out of it. I'd much prefer to celebrate, and uh, I, I agree that's a great. Story. Unashamedly, delighted, categorically, uh, over the moon that Israel Folau is back and rightly playing international rugby. That is what I'm I'm ecstatic about. It's exactly exactly um, as it should have been, and he should never have been kicked out to start with. That's the first thing I would say. The reason that this doesn't get into story of the week, though, is because they lost so badly. 36 points to nil, was it not? Yeah. So they can't and Also, this lovely, lovely moment where the old, the old lady giving Michael Hooper a chocolate bar. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Which I think was, like, brilliant. Uh, it, it's all about the subtle, subtle marketing. People are very savvy now. They know when they're being sold to. And Cadbury's had the Cadbury breakaway on the pitch, the advertising there. They're supporting us. They're sponsor Australia's team now, but they that was a PR marketing masterpiece. They made it look like it was completely off the cuff. An old old granny giving Michael Hooper a chocolate bar. That was that had been planned and brainstormed <laughs> by marketing executives for months, and then we saw it worked a treat. Yes, good, good. Yeah. Uh, so we all agreed it's New Zealand. Uh, sorry, it's Argentina, except for Phil, who thinks it's the it's the 30 year old debutant for Australia. Because that they, or maybe Tonga. One, one and two for me. Maybe nah, Tonga. No, because they didn't win. They've got to win. Uh, at least they they can't get absolutely smashed. Yeah, fair point. To Talking of, uh, oh no, one thing I will say is like Man City oh. managed to do quite well with a with a false nine. Uh, with a false nine, um, and everyone was like, they need a striker. No, they don't. Uh, it turns out Scotland definitely do need a fly half. You can't <laughs> play with a false 10. Well, it's no, no, false, no. false 10 and a false 15 as well. you got a 15 playing false 10. False 10 and false 15, 15 yeah. playing 10 and a 12, 13 playing 15. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, just on yeah. Israel Farah. Um, shall we, I, I shall we do some games it. next week? 
I just wanted to revisit Israel Folau quickly because one of my favourite Twitter phenomena is when somebody in the rugby sphere, and I won't mention names because it's not fair, a good bloke, but I still enjoy it all, uh, all, uh, all the same that they did it this week. When I, they mention, I, know, I know who you're talking about. When they mention a rugby player, they praise rugby player, and then they realise that he's got, got a pretty ropey past. So they have to backtrack and say, by the way, when I talk about what a great runner he is, I don't mean what a great domestic abuser he is. Yes, I think we get the point. I, I, I think we know. I think we know that you're watching rugby. It's okay. So uh, people, people on Twitter just need to calm down. If you're, if you're watching rugby, it's okay. We know you don't think he's a great domestic abuser. It's, I did see that. That is it's so ridiculous. Funny. So Absolutely funny. Absolutely ridiculous. I always think it's like trolling in a way. It's like, it's like quite funny. Well, it's... It almost, I read that almost as if people were exerting their power to make someone backtrack and say what yeah. they like, have criticised yeah. him to make the, him like beg and plead <laughs> to say what they want. It's, it's, it's yeah, ludicrous. I, I might start issuing really ham fisted apologies, which are worse than the actual, than actually just saying he's good. Like, um, obviously, I didn't mean he was a br- yeah, like a brilliant domestic abuser would be a great way to apologise for it. <laughs> Oh, ridiculous. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Some predictions yeah. for next week then. Um, firstly, like, um, so Scotland, just get, get players playing in the positions they play and, uh, and and you might do a bit better. Probably the takeaway there. Yeah. Um, Wales, I think they just need to try and get as close to replicating what they did and see if they can hold on. Beautiful. I fear that the dam might burst. Yeah. But then we thought that last week. So F- Fewer yellow cards for Wales and, and everything yeah. will be all right. Yeah, uh, Ireland. I don't know what they do. They've only got four fit front rowers now. Yeah, and they've they've got midweek games. Is it because they're playing? Yeah. Um, Mario Bucks. I think it's next week, not this week. But they've they've got it's a five game tour, so they they're struggling there. They could end up losing all five games. Oh, they will do now. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm fairly confident. I was confident before. I I think it's, it'd be a miracle if they win one of the remaining three. And they bl- and no doubt they'll blame it on the fact that their players aren't rested enough from the Pro 14. Uh, sorry, rather whatever it is, you are seeing. You are seeing. As as for England, what changes would you make, Phil, if any? Get the kids in, Arundel. <laughs> Arundel one through one through fifteen, please. I'm I'm actually all right with uh, with Arundel starting. I I don't see the point in Joe Thock and a singer, Joe Thock and a singer playing unless you're actually going to use him. Yeah. If, uh, but there you go. I, I can't. And I might, I, I might be tempted to go Courtney Laws at lock, and a more balanced back row with someone else doing a bit more of the breakdown work because they got done by Hooper too many times. Yeah, and I, I hope because Lud, um, Ludlam came on. It was half time for Curry, mm. wasn't it? And it, Curry, Curry had a really good half, but it did take what looked like quite a big. Um, head collision when he was tackling Karevi, I think it was in the first half. So I hope I hope Curry's okay. Um, but yeah, I I could go with that. I I wouldn't change things tr- things drastically. I would probably not play fucking singer, although he didn't do anything wrong. But um, I just don't think his form warrants the position that he's in. Um, I would love to see a bit more of Arundel because I've only ever really seen um, a few highlights um, of him. I've, I've I don't know if I've watched a, ga- a full game where he's played a full match. So I would love to see that. But maybe 
Has, has he played a full match? He's only, he's, only, he's, only, he's had like seven appearances off the bench, hasn't he? Don't honestly don't know. Um, so it might Amazing. not be the best way because he, he might just be best as a finisher um, <laughs> in in Eddie Jones' parlance, um, figuratively and literally. I mean that that finish that was like it had shades. So the power to break through the contact, the yak, and then to skin. I'm not even sure who was covering across. It might have been Lola Laseo. Um, that had shades of Jason Robinson in the World Cup final. That's a great that skin, shot. In, in five yards of space, he's just powered through contact and then he goes around the outside into the corner. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah maybe, yeah. I was going to say, you make a good point about the finishing, being a finisher, sorry, because does that kind of try happen without a tied defence? No. No. Probably not. And, and same same with the uh, no. same with the Van Portfleet one as well. Uh, that, that Sorry, was, yeah, the Van, Van Portfleet try yeah. it, that that because they, they were man down as well, which is relevant. Man man down, tied defence. They've already won the game. The clock's in the red. Um, there was a little tug on. I don't know if you saw it. Marcus Smith kind of half entered the rook and just had a little pull back of the shirt of Michael Hooper, who was was the guard to create the space. But yeah, that, that wouldn't that wouldn't happen if 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 that was the winning try, it wouldn't have been scored. Yeah. Yes, completely agree. Completely agree. So I don't think England are ever going to be as lu- as lucky as they were this weekend. I don't think the starting fly hop will pull out. I don't think the tight head prop will disappear. I don't think a loose head will go to tight head. Uh, I don't think they'll go down to fourteen men. And on top of all of that. I think that England are going to be in for an almighty hard week this week. So when you add all those things together, logically, it doesn't stand to reason that England can win next can win ne- next week. To me, now I could be completely wrong. I do hope I'm wrong. I want England to win, but it doesn't stand to reason. Uh, Scotland, don't know, but maybe they could do with getting those three lads that played for Tonga to switch allegiances again. I don't know what the rules say about that, but that might be useful. Uh, uh, let, me play you, let, me, let me play you a little something, because I forgot about this. The, co- the, the Australian commentary that I saw in the highlights when I watched a bit of the, England, uh, the Australia-England game back again, just to refresh and watch the tries, because we were talking on WhatsApp about Freddie Stewart's questionable defence. Um, which he, at international level, he has been exposed a few times. Anyway, um, the uh, uh, have a listen to the Aussie commentator. It's almost like he he does auto tune on himself his voice. Is that Sean Maloney? I think it was Sean Maloney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, well. Okay, so um, so pretty pretty much we're, we're, uh, England are going England are going to win the series two one and Eddie's uh, Eddie's Eddie's a ledge. I, I hope you're right, Tim. Um, if 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 England uh, if England don't get anything, if England play as badly as um, they did yesterday in the next two games, I might be joining the JB Eddie out. Um, Dean Ryan in bandwagon. Dean Ryan in. Imagine, oh, yeah. imagine Dean Ryan is the next guy in, eh? Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you would have been right all those years ago. I know, I know. 
Uh, I just, I just want to say a couple of things, sort of extra, any other business type stuff. One thing, um, we were talking about marketing ploys. I don't know if this is marketing or not, but my kids have let me know of a, a, a trend that's currently big with the kids. There are loads of uh, guys, sort of young teenage age guys, going to watch the new Minions film all wearing suits. It's really? a thing. Yeah, Why? you get like lo loads of young lads turning up to the minions in suits. Because they, it's, they would, it's a thing. Because presumably these are the guys who were like five years old when Despicable Me, Despicable Me first came <laughs> out. So they've like grown up yeah. with it. It's weird. That if you look at the videos online, it's uh, it's a phenomenal thing. There was like there was a bunch of them at the Trafford Centre, um, still all turned up in suits. Did you guys ever wear suits in your sixth form? I don't even think, Phil, when's sixth form, did you, Phil? <laughs> uh, it was, went to it, college, it was, it was a college. Oh, yeah, like... Yeah, not sixth form. Yeah. Oh, no, I went, I went to sixth form and, and they let you... They were a bit looser with what you could wear. You could... So you could wear more like a suit than a school uniform, yeah. Oh, no, we were just yeah. in, like, jeans and a T-shirt. So, obviously, I turned up with... Obviously, I turned up with pocket squares and rugby ties. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah, yeah we had... Um, Suits, it's a big deal to wear a suit, but I looked so bad in my suits. My parents wouldn't buy me a suit, so I just wore like secondhand suits. I looked awful, absolutely <laughs> terrible. Oh, God, gives me nightmares. I'll tell you what, we should do a, a very, very quick uh, Patreon pod with JB just showing us around Grand Canaria a little bit. Could do like a little travel report. Oh, my word, can you imagine? Just a little, yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, exactly. Maybe we can so, do that. Uh, well, We'll stay on for a little bit longer. Oh, and the other thing is, did you know on WhatsApp you can turn the blue ticks off? Can you? Yes, I did, but it comes I at didn't a cost. It comes at a cost. What's the cost? You can't see other people's blue ticks. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, like, right? you, you, like, so if you turn your blue ticks off, you just don't know if you've delivered anything to anyone else. So if you're a, a blue tick watcher like I am, oh, right, two blue ticks, then get mortally offended. Um, <laughs> you don't want to be turning your ticks off. You, are, you Live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm going to take this one home then, boys, if it's all right. Let's go. Yep, fire away. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're here every single Monday morning for you, nearly 10 years and counting, and even when the boys are on holiday, even when we have other things to do, uh, next week we'll be uh, back on the podcast celebrating England's triumph and uh, winning again, retaining our trophies at the North Dorset Sevens. Uh, in the meantime, subscribe, leave a five-star review, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash eggchasers for extra content. You've got a little teaser of that in our feed and uh, we're going to get a travel log from JB um, from Gran Canaria as well uh, on this week's pod. Uh, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.